Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome to Chief Concerns. I'm with my partner in crime here. It's just going to be me and Jason Dunn locking down the show tonight. Eric's off, having a good time. I think he's playing golf somewhere. Golf, um, yeah, doing, doing a little, like, you know, golf tournament or something like that, man. Hopefully he wins. So, you know, if he don't win, I'm going to be a little upset. Like, man, look, you did all that traveling, going out there for that tournament, and then come out a loser. You know, at least, you know, come in second. You know, have some type of consolation prize or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> Eric's based on what he's telling us on the show, he's get, he's getting good. I mean, I mean, he said, what, "What was it? What was his?" Uh, you asked. I don't really know golf terminology, but you guys talked about it. was his handicap last his week. His handicap, yeah. So right. I think he said it was. Uh, I don't know if he's, he's. It's not in single digits yet. I think he said maybe uh, ten. Right. So, but he he's he's getting there. So that which is which is pretty good, you know, as far as you know, as far as golfers kind of go. So if you're you almost getting to the point where you are almost a scratch golfer. Uh, then he really talking. So he he's he's getting better. But I heard he's had a, a great game. So I mean, he spends a lot of time out there, man. So he should he should be getting pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's always yeah. on the golf course. Every time he texts him or call him, he's always coming. He's either coming back from the golf course, he's heading to the golf course. So and I, I, and, and I know it. I you know what? I need to go out. I just talked to my son uh, yesterday, and I was telling him I need to get out here and get out on the clubs, man. Start swinging the sticks a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that, that's a great pastime to do. Uh, being outdoors and just moving around. So that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, sure. golf. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. Um, my version of that would be either going mini golf, which I haven't gone mini golfing in such a long time. That's the, that was for me back in the day or not back in the day, but a couple of years before I had a steady girlfriend was, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, going to play mini golf. And that was my, my date spot was mini golf talk, you know, play some golf. Um, <laughs> and then also top golf, which is, I think that's fun. You can do that, you know, with your, yeah. with your friends and whatnot. What it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun thing. You have, do you guys have uh, top golf where you're at? We have a top golf in Cincinnati. It's like right outside of Cincinnati. So it's about an hour, 30 minutes away. So okay. it's, it's, it's a ways away. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you're going, if you're going to make a weekend out of that, that's definitely something to do in Cincy. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Get some, get some chili. That's that's the thing in uh, Cincy, right? Chili? Chili is, yeah, it's one thing in Cincinnati, man. But I, I don't really, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really eat a whole lot of other people's chili. You know, I, I actually, I'll tell you, so I judged the chili contest last. Uh, at the beginning of last year is when I judged a chili contest and I had so much fun trying to chili, but then I started realizing like everybody's chili wasn't really the same. I was like, okay, good. like this is, yeah, but it was some great chili out there. Don't get me wrong. It's some great chili out there, man. But yeah, chili's just one of those things that, you know, I got to know kind of who's cooking it, you know, know if they're a good cook. I'm just not going to try every chili, man. You know, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. It's just one of the foods you got to be careful with. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my, my uh, friend uh, his he refuses to eat uh, anybody else's cornbread. So he grew up. His mom used to make cornbread for him all the time, and so she she since passed away. But he said even even before she passed away, he said he could not eat cornbread. He couldn't eat other people's cornbread. Only his mom's, and that was it. You know, respectfully, when they come over to my house for dinner, my mom would be like, "I understand, Marcus. You're you're you're, you're, you're. And his name was Marcus also, but she's I understand, Marcus. Your mom's your your mom's cornbread is amazing. So I I, I get it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> But um, so kind of a, kind of a slow week. I mean, obviously every week there's always Chiefs rumors going around where the Chiefs are looking at this guy. But um, this week it's kind of you know kind of lax. Like it's a Masters week, uh, baseball opening week. I think everyone's kind of settled in right now doing the uh, other things in springtime. But our first concern tonight comes from a report 
from James Palmer from NFL Network, who said he had talked to Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is spending his offseason studying and looking for ways to be more efficient and not looking for the big play every time. Also, he wants to work towards continuing to evolve the offense, which is music to my ears because there's so many times where, you know, Patrick either takes a sack and, you know, look for the big play, and that's kind of what our offense has been, being a big play offense. But how do you feel about Pat's offseason approach, and how, how do you think we can evolve the offense? Uh, you, you know what, that's, you know, that's, that's somebody who's a pro, you know, that that's his approach of just going in and how do you become better? So as good as he is of a passer, uh, he also wants to become a, a much better player. So he wants to be a much smarter guy making better decisions and choices and some of the things that he's doing. So that, I mean, that's a great approach. You know, I think that, you, you know, I don't care who you are, you know, always talk about like, that's the biggest room in the room, right? Is, is the room for improvement. So, uh, you know, he can always get better. And I think what he, he's looking at is some of the opportunity and what can end up happening is you could get so comfortable in what you're doing and with some of your success that you get so comfortable in it that you don't change anything up. And so you start believing that you can make every throw, right? You just start believing that now we don't have to run the football. And I think like last year, um, because of his, his talent and because of talent around him, you know, they were able to get away with a lot of different things. And so what ends up happening, you start seeing coaches start to adjust to what you do, right? And so it takes just sometimes with defensive, you know, uh, defense coordinators just to study what you do best and say, let's attack that. And, and so what they end up doing, and I'll just go back to the Super Bowl, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers did that. You know, they looked at, okay, what is, our, what is their strength? So what, let's take away their strength, what they can do. So we're not going to let them get beat as deep. So now I'm thinking he's at least exploring how do you get more of the, uh, the, the mid-range, you know, shorter passes uh, and just kind of moving the chains down the field as far as looking for chunks, right? I mean, it's great to try to score a touchdown every single play, but we just know that's just not possible. And so what you end up trying to do is, okay, well, let's, let's add a little bit more to our game. And so I'm, I'm sure that when he's doing more of just studying the film, he's looking at how defenses are actually playing him. He's looking at how defenses are, are disrupting his receivers, so I think it bodes well for, for him and, and Kansas City's offense uh, because he's going to get everybody else on the same page. So also, too, what he'll do is he'll take some of his knowledge and he'll go and he'll correlate it with, you know, Kelsey and, you know, Hill and Robinson, all those guys is coming back. You know, uh, Sharp, I think, is going to be a good job, a good addition to the game. Uh, and just letting them know, like, look, you know, this guy did this to you on this play. Hey, how about we do it like this? And sometimes it's just that, that you know, that, camaraderie you have to have with guys that chemistry you have to have with, with certain guys as far as like what are they thinking how do you play if they do this let's do that and try to get open uh so that uh without a doubt is going to improve uh, his game but also to ultimately it's going to just improve the entire offense of kansas city uh and and as scary as that is i mean you, you got to really think like now you know if you get what you need as far as pass protection I mean, they're going to be really dangerous. And so we were thinking about 30 points a game, you know, last year. Well, look, trying to, you know, supersede that with more points, but also, too, what you want to at least try to do is you want to strategically wear the, the defense down. You know what I mean? So so you maybe you hold the ball more in your hand than you did before. And that's probably part of the problem, right? Because you score so many points so fast, now – I tell you what, let's let's 
manage what we do, score, give our defense a little bit of rest, what we need to, you know, do for them. But it is without a doubt going to prove, you know, the total offense. Yeah, and if you look at the two games, yeah, we lost the San Diego, the Week 17 game. That doesn't really matter. Um, and LA Chargers, sorry. We had a couple We had a couple comments on YouTube last week. Uh, I think uh, Eric had said St. Louis Rams. But, you know, we're, all, we're old school guys here. We, 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 we yeah. say St. Louis, we say San Diego. But um, but the Raiders game and the Tampa, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. they stopped. When, when the Raiders clamped up and stopped the big plays, that's when they made that comeback, and that's when our offense couldn't do anything. And the same thing on the Super Bowl. Yes, we had offensive line issues, but they stopped the big play. And we really couldn't do anything. And, you know, it, it's what you guys always said all, all season long. Establish the run. Take what defense has given you instead of, you know, holding the ball and, you know, do it. Try to look for the long, long shot. And that's something that, you know, you guys, you know, you played in the NFL for so long. You you knew that realistically that's what Patrick was going to have to do. You know, as you get older, as you become that veteran, it you, you have to take what the defense gives you, you know, and, you know, he's got away with doing it, you know, MVP. And then last year, you know, um, he was in the, he was in the race, he was in the conversation until the end of the season, as far as being MVP. So, you know, it's not that he's been doing anything wrong. It's just now he's becoming mature enough where it's like, you know, we have to do this, you know, to take us to the next level. So we can be a big play and be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, moving the ball downfield kind of offense. Right. Of course. I mean, if, if you think about it, I mean, it's the same thing that every, you know, a great player had to had to do to adapt. It's the same thing I'm sure Jordan had to do every single year, just going in and start working, studying film. Kobe Bryant, same thing. You know, Tiger Woods, you know, Wayne Gretzky. I'm sure everybody was sitting there thinking like, look, I could probably add on to my game to help, you know, the entire team out. And so if I just stay right here in my, my little bubble and don't try to improve myself, then what am I actually doing? What, you know, how am, I get, how am I improving myself and how am I improving the chances of the team? So I, I know it's to him, that's what he's, he's actually looking for. And I, I've seen guys like that. I mean, every single year, you know, the, the great guys, the greats uh, come out and try to improve on their game. You know, they're just never satisfied. And, that, and that's, that's a great place to be because then you don't become content in just, you know, your success. Right. And so I, it's good to hear him say that, like, look, I could get better every single year. Matter of fact, I'm just going to get everybody else around me better. By me getting better, I get every everybody else around me better also. And also I can help them in, in their game as well. So it, that's good. It's, it's a great place to be as a leader, you know. So, uh, you know, hats off to him, man. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, he took a picture for Easter with his kid. He had a boot, he had a boot on. <laughs> and today there was new pictures that came out because I think he's at uh, Augusta for the Masters. No mm. boot. So he's, tra- he's training in the right direction for all those people who were scared about the boot when they saw it on Easter. Um <laughs> Plenty of time before here in season, man. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> um, okay, so our next concern, not really chief related, but just in general, uh, you know, you know, kind of hot topics of what's been going on the last two weeks. So ESPN's Dan Orlovsky and former Detroit Lion quarterback and UConn quarterback came under fire last week when he went on the uh, Pat McAfee show and talked about Justin Fields saying there's questions with his work ethic and all that stuff, right? And a lot of people said, where's that, what's the basis of that? You know, who are the people you talk to? Because, you know, his head coach, Ryan, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Day, uh, Coach Day from Ohio State came out uh, and said it's not true at all. I don't know where you heard that. Then the next day, Orlovsky goes on uh, Twitter or Instagram and he makes a statement saying, oh yeah, well, you know, after I said that, I took a step back and looked and co- contacted um, coaches who know uh, who know uh, Justin Fields 
and they said he doesn't have any there's no concerns he's a hardest working guy he said a lot of stuff you know he was a he was the last guy in and first one to leave stuff like that it's like where are you where are you hearing that yeah. now this begs the question you know we, we, we hear things all the time right and i'm not going to bring up the race card. i'm not going to bring up the race card but you look at things like coach Bienemy. you know people yeah. said he's a bad interviewer it's mm-hmm. like, where, where, where's that coming from? You know, we're, we're hearing guys talking about eating ankles and getting head coaching jobs, but Coach Bianami doesn't. And then you hear for, for years, though, you know, you know, Vince Young, for example, you know, he 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 scored bad in his um in his links test. He can't be. He's not, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the mental capacity to be a quarterback. You yeah, know, right, stuff right. like that. Where you know, I'm not saying it's a race car, but like when you add all these things up, you never really hear these kinds of things when it comes to white quarterback. Yes, we heard with Baker a little bit about mm-hmm. how he had some concerns about uh, you know how he was a locker room guy and all that stuff. And then you know that was probably the one guy I've heard in the last few years. And Menzel had off the field issues. Nothing about his character on the field, but. What what do you think about this situation? And do you have any personal experience with this kind of like these concerns that come out of nowhere, you know, without these guys, these analysts who haven't done their due diligence? Yeah, I'll I tell you what, man. I, I think uh, Dan Man was completely irresponsible. And one of the things I I'd absolutely, absolutely despise and I just absolutely hate it is when somebody says something and you never cite your source. You, you never say, well, this person told me that. Right. Carry a name to who told you these things as opposed to, to they well they say this and they say that where that person might not be a, a reputable guy getting information from. So, I, I, you know, Dan should be a little bit more responsible with what he's doing, what he's saying, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because, you know, as you were saying before, you know, when you're using these negative words and, and, and uh, negative uh, character, it's basically assassination of somebody's character is really what you're doing unknowingly or maybe knowingly sometimes and so you see this just throughout history that has been done you know it used to be one of those the negative things tropes and connotations to black quarterbacks oh he's not intelligent enough he's he's not smart enough uh well he, he doesn't have a, a throne range he can never stay in the pocket well there's other things this guy could do not to mean he's not intelligent to do them it's like nobody gave him a chance and so you just discount it in entire uh, swathe the people because of, you know, your bias that you may have, you know, and, and this is what it is. It's, it's, it's implicit bias that guys are sitting over here and they're talking about these things that everybody has that you don't realize the damage that you're doing by saying these things. And so it, I think Kirk Herstreet, I know he did a good job kind of correcting Dan. Dan tried to walk it back, but you know what already is it's too late, you know, because you're being the talking head going on these shows and saying this and all of that. Well, sure, what if somebody said that, Justin Fields uh, might have did something even worse than that, right? Well, if you come on the show, it was, well, I heard Justin Fields did this. And that'd just be completely irresponsible, especially if you don't even know who the guy is and you haven't really did any homework. And so now all of a sudden, his, the, the head coach that I think coordinating came to Dan's like, hey, man, look, he works hard. He's always in here. You know, his personal training is like, man, he works hard. He stays in the, in the, in the weight room all the time. He's constantly, you know, uh, uh, studying film. So now all of a sudden, Dan has taken this information for where we got it from and put it out here to put a doubt cast a doubt in, in guys minds this look this is changing people's lives this is what this is doing and so I, that is completely irresponsible and and on a personal uh, uh personal point you know i went through this uh when i got drafted and so i came out projected to be a first round pick well when i talked to mel kuyper mel kuyper you know we had a great conversation uh talking about, uh, look, Jason, you know, you're supposed to be one of the first tight ends taken. 
or not one or two. He's like, you know, how do you think? And so we, we, we had a great conversation about all these different things. And, and so when it came down to it, Philly calls me in my first round. Hey, Jason, we're ready to take you. I think Minnesota called me too. And then finally, Philly picks Jermaine Maryberry first round. And I was, I was crushed. And so you'll see a segment, I think the one that you sent me, that Mel Kuyper says on there, well, there was a question about his work ethic and, you know, if he's going to do the things necessary during the offseason. And I was sitting over and think, and I was just absolutely blindsided with somebody saying something like that about me. And I told you, look, man, I, I, look, I, I was raised on a farm. All I knew was hard work. And so it was just so disappointing to me that Mel Kuyper would say something like this without even citing his source. We'll just just make that up, and it was crazy because once I got drafted, he's like, "Well, all the things, all those concerns are out the window." What? Wait a minute, hold on. You just said in one breath that there was a, a question about it. As soon as I get drafted, oh, the question now is gone. It's released this year. More than usual, it was a pretty deep. It's a pretty deep draft in the first two rounds for tight ends. Usually, you have one or two players. And then that's it. But Mel, I mean, we we had all these guys going through the second round, didn't we? Well, we had a strong year last year too, Chris. You remember a lot of that's those right. tight ends contributed heavily, and a lot of teams filled voids at tight end. Of course, you also have, exactly, and you also have some veteran tight ends available in trade. Troy Drayton's name's been mentioned as well as Johnny Mitchell, but certainly Jason Dunn, McWilliams, and Bataglia has already been selected. Were your top group? All right, let's go up and see uh, what Philadelphia has decided. Let's go up to the podium. Gene Washington, the voice of the second round. Philadelphia has selected Jason Dunn. There it is. Tight end, Eastern Kentucky. Well, I would tell you two things. They have selected a, a player that some had going late first, and any deal for Johnny Mitchell is now done. That's right. With the selection of Jason Dunn. This kid played every position imaginable coming through the high school ranks, and of course at Eastern Kentucky, didn't catch a lot of passes. Watch him when his tight end reversed. You see, this is a kid that's 260 pounds. He can run. He ran a 4-5-1 during an individual workout. Tremendous strength. Did 34 reps during a workout. Look at this ability, Joe. This is a kid 260 pounds. So I tell you, he can motor. He's just not a big, slow tight end who can't get uh, out of his off the ball and, of course, kids can't get downfield. And as far as blocking, that's where he needs to become a little bit more consistent. I think the work ethic is what people consider. Here he played some defensive end this yep. year, had a couple sacks, a couple hurries. But I think that's why Jason Dunn is still here. People didn't feel he was a, a worker, that he would get in the, and do the kind of things on the practice field and in the off season to prepare and try to maximize all that great physical talent that he possesses. I think the physical side of it is really what impresses me. To, to be able to play defense or defensive end and swing over there and do the things that you need to do on that side of the football, as well as be, tight, be a tight end, he is a total package. His upside potential is absolutely incredible. Gruden's got to be thrilled. He would have liked to have maybe had the veteran in Mitchell, but now he brings in a young kid who can do a lot for his offense. Bigger and probably a better blocker than Johnny Mitchell would have been as well. And the concern's really over too now. It's not the first round. We're late second round now. There's no concern. You don't worry about that. Now you're getting a great physical talent. Yes. If he doesn't develop like you hope, you haven't wasted a first round pick and a lot of money. That, that, that to me, you're dealing with people's lives here. And from first round to second round was about a million dollars difference. And for somebody to use something negative and for Mel Kuyper to get up there and say something like that, that is is dealing with my future it is absolutely absolutely insane uh and i think you know dan doing that uh, for justin fields uh for whatever reason uh like i said before is, is completely completely irresponsible and i'm glad kirk Herstreet said something to him and other people came up it's like look man bucky brooks was another guy that's like look we don't you, you don't realize like the uh 
the historical ramifications of what you've been saying and how it's been played out just throughout history. That sometimes people use negative words to describe, you know, African-American quarterbacks as opposed to white quarterbacks. You know, white quarterbacks, they might say, oh, he's, he's intelligent, he's smart, you know, he, he, he's a hard worker, you know, hard effort guy. Black dude, oh, it's all about his talent. Oh, well, you know, he's a good runner, he's a doist. But it's never about your, you know, mental acuity. It's never about that. So it's, it's so it's so disappointing that these things still go on, that people still have these uh, implicit biases that they don't realize that they got. What they need to do is start watching their mouth even more and start delving in deep about some of these things that need to be let go, things that you need to explore about the things that you say and how we feel about. Like I said before, it don't matter if it's color, if it's you know, your gender, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, ageism, whatever it may be, you got to be very careful about the things that you say. And I'm not saying this is something that, you know, being, uh, well, this is, uh, uh, what's the word that they use always time? Like, a, uh, not the cancel culture, but but saying it in a way that is not so hurtful. But also, too, you need to understand that you need to be held accountable for the words that you do say. We all do. And so uh, I, I want to just make sure that, you know, he understands it. I think he does now. But for somebody to say that, regardless of whatever, and we say this is in every field, right? Whatever job that you work, you know, it, it could be a relationship, whatever it may be. You got to be, a, you know, very cognizant of what you say and who you're saying it to that you won't affect that person's life going forward, you know, and you're doing a disservice by doing those things like that. That's just, to me, that's just, that's just dirty gossip is what it is. And it goes back to the same thing with the enemy by saying he's not a great interviewer. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. Eric Bieniemy is without a doubt a head coach, but somehow he's not getting it because he's a bad interviewer. But somebody else is, like you said, talking biting ankles and, you know, I'm a gnaw him. And we go, what? What are you talking about? So it, it's just, it's unfortunate, man. There's a lot of things that need to change. We got to get better at. Um, and sometimes part of that is just a conversation to let people know where they messed up. So Dan, you know what? You messed up, buddy. You did, You messed up. Be held accountable for your words. And I learned this one thing, and it's, it's very important. I tell sometimes tell the kids this all the time. Never put on a coat that you're unwilling to wear. Meaning, don't let people define who you are based off what somebody else says or who they want you to be. Never do that, all right? If, that, if that's not your coat, don't put it on. So every time somebody was trying to throw a coat on these, these guys and stuff like that, man, look, you shed that. Don't, don't put that coat on. And it's funny that you say the – the aspect of um, when they do it's like, it's crazy to me because when you've been on TV for so long, you get to know the stuff you say, right. It feels like you're repetitive. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like when a couple of buddies of mine, uh, they're, they're white guys. They have, um, they do a drinking game every time there's a draft and whenever a white guy is drafted, yeah. they drink whenever they hear sneaky athletic <laughs> high, high IQ guy. And he's got a he's a hard worker and he's got a hell of a motor. Whenever they hear those, whenever a white guy is drafted, that's when they drink. And you think at this point, Mel Kuyper's been doing this for like 30, 40 years now. Yeah. You yeah. think, dude, you say the same thing about the same kind of guy every time. Mm -hmm. What does that say to you? And then when it comes to I've never, and I, I I'm not saying like you know, I, I know it's 100 percent fact, but it's very seldom that I hear a high IQ guy when it comes to an African-American quarterback versus an African-American player. And I'm not saying that you know, Mel Kuyper's yeah. racist or anything, but 
we we're fans and we watch these things. We don't that never stands out to us because if if you hear they're like, oh, okay, they do say it about you know the black guy, the the white guy. But you don't, but you don't hear that. You hear a high IQ guy when it comes to a white guy who may not be the most athletic guy. So they, 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 they make up for his athleticism. He's a high IQ guy. So yeah, we're going to attribute this to him as far as, and here's the thing. And, and, and the reality is because nobody's ever really uh, taken Mel Kuyper to task. They never challenged him on the things that he says. And that's part of the problem because what you end up becoming is you become complicit to what this guy is doing with all his negativity and what he's saying. That you just okay, well, this is just Mel Kiper goes along with it. I, I just don't, I don't agree with that. So when somebody's like, "Hey, Mel, look, listen, you you just said this about four or five other guys, white guys. His IQ, he's high motor. You know, he can't be athletic. You know, like 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 uh, 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 like Lamar Jackson, right? Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson can't be high IQ like uh, I don't know Carson Palmer. I don't know who it is, Carson Wentz, right? And so yeah, we got to challenge what you say. So you got to be held accountable for the things that you say, what comes out of your mouth. If you use these things to describe, you know, black quarterbacks or black DBs or whatever they, it is, and you're always using all the positive attributes for a white quarterback, then somebody needs to sit your butt down and say, Mel, look at this, right? You believe all the guys that you sit there and said have high IQ or high IQ guys? You think all the black quarterbacks you said, it, it, they, they have all these negative things to them? Like you need to sit down and actually think about this, but nobody's ever approached him that way. I'm sure they haven't. I'm sure they haven't. Well, for, for a figure like that, a guy who's been, you know, working in this industry for so long, you know, he's the draft guru, but I, I will say this. It's, it's not even so much that he's speaking negatively about African-American quarterbacks. It's the fact that it's what you don't say more so than saying negative things. Right. Yes. Lamar Jackson was athletic. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that Lamar Jackson was not a high IQ guy. Hardworking, you know, right? Yeah, hard worker. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it's it's for 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 Mel Kiper when it comes to, and I'm not, we're not, and the thing is, we're not saying that you know Mel Mel is treating black quarterbacks to white quarterbacks differently, right? Right. What we're saying that be careful with your words is essentially what the, what the what the whole sentiment's about. But it's it's what it's what you don't say that's become that speaks louder. It's it's the fact that my white friends are playing a drinking game when it comes to white guys getting drafted versus, you know, when a, when an African American guy's getting drafted. You know, it's the the fact that high IQ guy, oh, drink because of course that's what they're gonna say during a when a white guy's drafted, right? And some it, of these guys, pocket, I'm, I'm waiting to hear brilliant, right? Where's brilliant? Oh, oh where's brilliant at? I ain't heard brilliant yet. I yeah. heard this about, you know, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Justin Fields. Okay, what about you know his his IQ of understanding defenses. I ain't heard it yet, right? Mm -hmm. Just wait for it. Politically correct is what I was looking for. Politically yeah. correct. That's, DPC, that's the yeah. words I'm using. PC. Yep. Shit. I don't know why it couldn't come to me. And, and that's the thing, you know, if it, it, our our viewers are watching this. We're not we're not we're not canceling Mel Kiper. We're really just talking about these guys being mindful of their words, and that that's really what it is. We're not saying, and again, we're not saying that Mel Kiper is you know going after African American quarterbacks. It's kind of what we're saying is it's one of those things that when you've been doing for so long and you just don't even know what you're saying anymore. It's like when you're saying the white guy is sneaky athletic, which is an insult to white guys. Sneaky yeah, it is. Sneaky athletic. What? Right. Oh, sneaky athletic. Like white guys are not athletic at all. Like they can't be athletic. Like, oh my gosh, he's such an anomaly. He's yeah. athletic. What? Yep. Like, I don't know, man. It, it's like I said, man. It's, it's, it's disheartening to, to hear you know people still speak like this. Yep. You know, and Dan, Dan, or, or, or whatever, Orlansky or Orlansky. But he's another guy in position who got a job, and he's sitting there talking, 
And I'm glad Kirk Herstree took him to task. And Bucky Brooks, everybody jumped on his back because they should have. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's precisely why he went on to clarify what he said. And if he didn't mean anything by it, that's fine. But you still said something that really you didn't do your due diligence behind. And if anybody goes, you know, if anyone goes on a, on, on a news segment or whatnot and saying, you know, uh, what fake news or misinformation, they're going to get called out for it. And in yeah. this case, in the sport world, this is misinformation. And if, you know, but. And all these guys are talking. That's the thing about it. Mm-hmm. So just like the scouts are going out here, hearing all this stuff, they're going to overturn every single rock. And a guy like Dan comes in, they were like, well, where Dan Ayers from, right? Where did he get this information from? We, we want to find out who that guy is, mm-hmm. you know? So. And, and that's the thing. And, and when, when I worked in news, it's, just because someone says it does not mean it's true and does not mean you're going to go to TV to say that. You have to confirm it, A. Right. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Have you heard from multiple other sources who worked with who have worked with Fields? That, sure, say whatever you say. You know, for, uh, you know, last last guy in, first one out. Sure, mm-hmm. say if it's multiple guys. But the fact that you even question what you said so badly because Herb Street dogged you, all these guys dogged you, that you then went and went to talk to coaches at Ohio State – and who the hell did you talk to in the first place? Who'd you talk to? Right. Who'd you talk to? Yeah. And see, that's that's what I'm talking about, man. And you my cite, cite your source. Shit. Hell, say it was Jason Dunn that told you that. <laughs> and then how does how does Jason Dunn know Justin Fields, right? Yeah. Hell, could have yeah. been he could have been an ex-girlfriend that said some shit like that. Ah, he don't work hard. He didn't say it. You don't know. Yeah. It could have been a, a Twitter commenter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it also goes to the play into the fact that, you know, when we hear about smoke screens, smoke screens are these guys who, whether it's unfounded or not, they throw uh, Dan Orlovsky. And I'm not giving him an excuse here. I'm just saying it's the, it's the, it's the sad part of what the business is, right? And the business right, is right. messing with these young kids' value, even if it means tainting their character by saying, I care, there's character, I'm hearing there's character concerns about this guy. Tell Orlovsky that, you know, he's going to go on a show. He goes out there and says, yeah, well, I'm hearing that he's got character concerns. You're not – so these guys aren't doing their due diligence. That's just information they're fed. They're right. saying it out there. What happens? Field stock possibly drops. And then that team that may have leaked in the first place, they may get him at number eight or number nine. You know, just the, that's a sad part about what, what, what goes on when they say smoke screen. That means these kids, you know, their, their character gets like uh, put out there into the fire or, you know, that, you know, they lose money. That's the, that's the sad part behind this, the, the, this part of the draft um, and the smoke screen uh, stuff that goes out. And, and, and the thing is, it's covers. That's all walks of life. That's all walks of life. Whatever job you go into, whatever it is that you, even a relationship, whatever, all walks of life. Like we, you know, you got to make sure, you know, that you you you're doing your due diligence to get all the information you can, as opposed to like, hey, you know, this person is saying this. So mm-hmm. I just think it was completely irresponsible on his part, uh, and so he he, he should have known better. I know you try to walk it back, but you know, damage already been done, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the that's the thing when you see these uh the, a lot of these like talking heads, you know, the second like, the second it goes on Twitter and they get called out for it, like, oh, I didn't mean that. I apologize, I didn't mean that. But you already you already, you already put it out there. Yeah, I, th- I think we are, you know, we should all do that. We should all watch what we say, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously, sure. we, we have to. So uh yeah. All right, well, so we're gonna go to uh our final question before we head to the Chiefs Kingdom concerns. And uh to, on a lighter note, um 
You know, and I, I, that's the thing. I, I think we, we, we talk about Chiefs topics, but we also, the bigger picture here, you know, we, we get to hear from an, every, an NFL player who, who's been through it. You know, who, you know, you can take a topic like we heard with the De- Orlovsky segment and apply it to you because that, 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 that stuff happens no matter how old, you know, the players from the 80s to now, 70s to now, that stuff happens. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But so this this is kind of funny. So uh, Chiefs last year they proposed a rule change and it it didn't really get any feet. It was the the fourth and it was the doing a fourth and long instead of an onside kick to option for that. Uh, but this year the Chiefs have proposed a new rule, which is probably going to pass, is what I've read, and that is the Chiefs are going to propose that running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, linebackers, and defensive backs would now be allowed to wear numbers one through forty nine. Reggie Bush option for this when he came out of college, and I'm sure I'm sure guys through the years have done this, but Reggie Bush was the number five. Everyone wanted him to wear number five when he came out. They didn't give it to him, of course, but they're saying it's going to pass. Now, what are your thoughts on this? It's a, it's a fun one, you know. NFL's finally adapting some college rules in, in a way. Now, what are your thoughts on this? A and then B. What number would you have worn if this rule passed when you were playing? <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, it's pretty good. So I, I think, uh, I mean, I like the rule. I, I do. I like it just for the simple fact that, you know, some of these guys had the same number from literally all the way up. And you're always constantly, you try to get to, uh, uh, when they're giving out the equipment, hey, I want number five. Hey, I want this number. I want this number. So you carry it all the way through, you know, from, you know, peewee to you know, middle school to high school to college sometimes. And so when you're used to a number, then finally gets there and say, nope, you only got these numbers. It's like, oh, come on, man. Like, And so you try to get at least close to it. So I guess Reggie got 25 instead of five. Uh, I, 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 but I do. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, my favorite number was 33. And, I, you know, my brothers, they wore it in high school. And so it was almost natural to me for me to get it because I was like, my brother had it. I want to wear 33, too. And so when it kind of got up there, I wore 33 in basketball, uh, you know, football for a little time. And then when I got to college, I became 96. Uh, and I love the number 96. You know, I just loved it. Just, just looked good on me. And so I was kind of used to it. Now, you know, as far as, you know, tight ends and stuff in the 80s, yeah, it's fine. You know, 40s, 49s and stuff is usually, you know, 40s on up, you know, because H-back, pullback, all the, you know, that area. I think it's good. Uh, as long as you don't get something that's ugly, like real ugly, I don't know. It'd be kind of hard to see a tight end, I guess, maybe with like a one on or a two. You know what I mean? So, uh, what number would I want if uh, I know, man? I, I like my numbers. I, I like the numbers I wore. You know, so ninety six was close to eighty nine, and I had eighty seven in in, in uh, Philadelphia. So I, I didn't mind them at all. I didn't mind them at all. So. Yeah, I think I'm, I guess, you know, just me growing up and stuff and in, in this era where I saw you at number 89, I couldn't imagine you at any other number um, just because Tony was 88, you were 89. Uh, so my head, imagine Jason Dunn and anything but 89 is weird to me. Uh, even when I saw your college highlights, when I saw the number 96, I'm like, what? No. And for those of you, for those of you who didn't know, Jason played defensive end and tight end. So 96, you know, perfect number for a DN. Um, right. But, but um, yeah, I guess, it, and it's kind of, ties to what we talk about tight ends nowadays, they're pretty much receivers now. So, I mean, essentially it's not, it doesn't look that weird seeing a, a tight end who's pretty much flexed out at, at, at a slot or an X even nowadays. 
um, to be wearing a number 18 or 17 or whatever, whatever, whatever number they want to wear. Um, that's it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But for me, I could not imagine anything else, but number 89. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> I don't even think I would want to like wide receivers number like out there like that. If I'm a wide receiver, I'm like, look, I'm not expecting to do any type of blocking. You know, if I am, I'm, it's going to be a DB, you know, <laughs> maybe a linebacker here and there, but yeah, but that, but in your team's number, yeah, you you trying to catch the football. <laughs> it's just funny that the it's a, it's a, it's a new age. I think um, like when I was uh, like my high school, my brother was talking about because we were talking about the rule, and he was like, "Oh, it's great." You know, the the new age that the, the young bucks that they don't want they don't want to wear in the eighties anymore. The eighties is like a, it's a big tight end number. It's a, it's it's a lineman or D lineman. It's not a it's not, not a receiver. They're all wearing teens and single digits now in high in the high school and, and you know in college they've been doing it forever, but like. When I was in high, like when I was in high school, I wore thirty two because I was a receiver slash um, running back, and also my mom was a big Marcus Allen fan. So, okay. so there's a theory in my household that I was kind of named after Marcus Allen. Oh, <laughs> all right, okay. Yeah. So the thirty two stuck, and you know he was a chief. He was a chief, but um, yeah, thirty two was a solid number to go running back and receiver. I could be flexed out and come back in, but. Being a receiver is like you're 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 in the eighties, you know. You think of Jerry Rice, you think of Tim Brown, you think of, you know, just the, you know, in our in our era was you had, you had uh, Torrey Holt, uh, Isaac Bruce, um, yeah. and Eddie Kenson was eighty seven. You were eighty nine because also eighty eight. So like that's what I think of receivers. I think of that. So maybe it's just a generational thing that the younger people are going to be seeing the receivers as the in the teens now. So and that now the next generation will be seeing the receivers in the uh, single digits. So it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of weird to see, but we'll get used to it. Get used to it. Yeah, just like anything, we'll get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now for our final segment tonight before we end the show. And, of course, it's everyone's favorite segment. It's our Chiefs Kingdom Concern segment. And tonight we're actually going to hear from a member who's been a big fan of ours since the get-go from one of our first episodes. Uh, based on his email he sent me, his name is Mr. Kenny Watson. Um, and I, I always wanted to do that. <laughs> Watson! <laughs> but uh, he's been dying to come on the show. He gave us our, his email on YouTube. Uh, he's a huge fan of you guys, and based on his comments, he's a huge, he's a lifelong Chiefs fan, so we're going to get him on the show right now. So, Kenny, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So, uh, where, where are you from, and how long have you been a Chiefs fan? Oh, man, uh, from Virginia. Uh, born and raised in Tidewater area, uh, hotbed of football, Tidewater. Uh, Percy Harvin, Michael Vick, Fletcher Colbert, even the guy on our team now, uh, what's the guy play on the defensive line? Uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Big guy, 90-something. He's from Virginia. Yeah, yeah, I, know I can't think about. of his name. Yeah, uh, he's from my area too. So yeah, it's called 757 Virginia Beach Golf So, so you've been out there, man, rocking KC for, for quite some time then. Long time, man. It's, a lo it's lonely being a Chiefs fan out there winding that. Man. Lonely as <laughs> long as what, man. But it's all good. I kind of like I kind of like having my own team, sort of. You know what right, I mean? right, right. Yeah, trust me, it's lonely out here. Lonely but, out 
Yeah, but yeah, everybody's usually what uh, you talking about Redskins fans, Redskins, Dallas, and Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's the top three. And you got support in that. The main ones is Redskins, Dallas, and Pittsburgh. I got you. I got you. Yeah, man, I know exactly where you at, man. Matter of fact, uh, shoot, uh, you know, because all that area, like you said, man, it's a hotbed of just talent out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right now, it's it's a guy that played for. This is a little sucker. He plays for the Dallas Mavericks, man. Going to Finney Smith. He's actually from my city. He's from the same city. I'm from Portsmouth. All right. All right. Yeah, man. It's, it's good talent out there, way, man. It's good talent and, and just good people out there, way. You know what I mean? I, I've been Absolutely. out the way. Uh, how about yeah, okay. Hampton? Hampton, uh. Hampton is about 25 minutes. 20, 25. Depending on, depending on how the traffic is. Some right. good traffic can get there in 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, that's Alan Iverson there. That's AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Kenny, I, I had no idea you're from Virginia. I, I'm from, well, I'm from, I'm from North Virginia, so uh, up top near DC. Okay. So it's, uh, I think okay. you and I are, uh, we're probably two of uh, maybe five uh, chief fans in the entire state, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, where I'm from, the only place you're going to see chief fans is at the sports bar. That's yeah. it. You're going to see them too many other places, man. Yep. Yep. And, and that's probably within the last uh, three years since Mahomes has been there. Before that, uh-uh. You ain't oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Absolutely not. I told you, it's only been a Chiefs fan out there where I'm from, man. It's yep. long. Yeah, yep. absolutely. <laughs> you know, we, we were talking about golf earlier, man. I come out there and play uh, at, at, at Midlothia is, is where we go play, man. That's where the rest of That's Okay. okay. Yeah, they, that's where they have their little golf tournament. I go and play in that every single year. And I'll tell you how I got hooked up with it. Uh, one of the coaches used to coach out of Kansas City, Vernon Dean, him and uh, Daryl Green are, are good friends. So, you know, uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, 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 you know, uh, Vern actually was, uh, was was with the Redskins. They won like three Super Bowls with them, I think. So, you know, okay. they, they, you know, they always, they, they stay tight, man. That's how I hooked up with it, man. I, and I love going up that way, man. Virginia is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful state, man. People that don't quite know yeah. like that area and stuff. I just love just riding yeah. off through, man, Virginia. Every, every little part of it, man, the coast, all of that, man, is just beautiful to me. Oh, yeah. It is. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. For sure. And uh, so, Kenny, man, what, uh, what questions do you have for uh, JD um, regarding the Chiefs? Okay, Maybe- my I- – Okay. Um, okay. My first question would be: We know that. Okay, when you played tight end, you was more of a physical tight end. I remember watching you play. You was physical. I would consider you to be the, the, the next tight end that we see today. So my question would be to you: Could you play in today's era as a tight end? You know what I'm saying? The way they play now, you know, because we don't see the physical tight end no more. All we see now is catching. You know what I mean? We don't really see the tight end that blocks fiddle down to the ground. So that would be my question. You think you play this era of football? I tell you what, man, I, I I definitely could. And and the reason I say that, when I came out of college, I was probably two, 240, 247, 250, 252. And I ran up legit 447. I'm, I'm talking about legit 4-4-5 all day long. And so I remember when I was coming out that my coach was telling me, hey, you gotta get you gotta gain weight. He was just like, Man, you gotta block the defensive ends, you know, in the NFL. And at the time you had guys like Mark Bavario from you know the the, the Giants, you know what I'm saying? You had you had other guys, uh like Keith Jackson, like bigger tight ends at, at the time who were about 265, 
you know, 270 that did a lot of blocking. And so during that era that I played, especially when I came in, it was running game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, your star yeah, guys yeah, was your running backs. Yeah. I'm not saying the guys ain't star running backs now, but, you know, you ask the tight end, you got to block a, a nine technique out there. You know what I'm saying? Sure, you got to pass block. That's so, right. That's right. Look, man, I, look, I had I had to block Reggie White. This is who I had my rookie year. I had Reggie White. I had Charles Mann. I had Kevin Green. Uh, I had uh, 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 Bruce Smith. The whole the whole Bills defense. <laughs> I mean, I was lined up, man. I'm talking about every single week. I had a Hall of Fame in front of me coming out as a rookie. Rocking. Okay. So, it wow. wasn't none of that, you know, and I, I say pretty boy, but I, it was none of that line up, you know, four yards out and just run routes, yeah. you know, because I had guys, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Were, you know, thousand yard uh, rushers, Charlie Garner, you know, from that's down that way, Virginia, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah um, uh, I had Ricky Waters was another Ricky guy, Waters, okay. You, know, okay. you know, Kansas City. I mean, that, that's that's what offenses would ask you to do. So it was more like a West Coast offense where you had to block. You had to catch, so guys were at tight ends weren't really catching 80, 90 balls a year. Just wasn't doing it, you know. So, uh, and the reason I say that, I would love to play in this era because with my speed back then, where I could just line up on the outside and just go against a linebacker in the in the in the safety. Oh man, I'm ready. I'm ready to eat now. Shoot. <laughs> and you tell them I don't have to put my hand in the dirt. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, sign me up. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. you know, but I, I say, man, but I love the physical aspect of it, you know, and, and that was, I took pride in the things that I did as far as blocking, you know, because it was, you know, when I'm, I'm just butt heads against Michael Strahan, you know, twice a year. I mean, that's, you know what I'm saying? You know, NFC East, that's what I was doing. Charles Mann, you know, guys like that. Charles Haley. I mean, I was, man, I'm talking about every single week. And you said Reggie White. That was enough for me, right? Reggie there. White, man. Reggie White. I, I had to tell you this quick story. Ah. I always tell people this. So Reggie, I had Reggie White on Monday Night Football. We go up there. You know, I just always remember just seeing in my head Reggie White just tossing tackles, you know, with the one arm just throwing him, you know, right? I'm like, oh, man. So I get up there, and I'm blocking Reggie White. Just blocking it, blocking him. Don't hear nothing. For about three quarters, the man don't say a word to me. Not one word, not a not a grunt, nothing. I'm just like, man, this man ain't talking nothing. He ain't said nothing to me all game, right? My boy's like, look, man, just wait, just wait. So finally, man, I made a block, and our running back took off about 50 yards. And I walk him back. Bam, Reggie White passed me on my butt. He was like, hey, man, good good, good block. I turned around and was like, hey, thank you, Mr. White. I put my hand up there and called him Mr. White and everything. <laughs> man, I came to the I came to the side yeah. line, made rip me for it. I said, man, do you try to just shake Reggie White's hand? I said, man, that's Reggie White. That's Reggie White. You know what I'm saying? That's right. But yeah, definitely, man. I, I, I would have loved to play in this area because then, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I just I just be out there just catching passes. <laughs> you know, so well, and even I will say, just based on there's not being many blocking tight ends in the league anymore. Even your skill set, even before your when when you were with the Chiefs from like oh one oh seven, just being a, and a specialist blocking tight end, dude, you can. I think you can play now if you got back in a playing shape. Yeah. Even yeah. At, your, at your age, coming in for a third down or second and short, just being a blocking tight end, you could you could do that nowadays, dude. Look, look. You don't exist anymore. 
hey, I get uh, Clyde Hilaire in the, I'll get him in the end zone. Yeah. yeah best believe that. You run by, hey, look, you get on this back, you can run behind him. I'm going to open that hole for you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. One of the, one of, you was one of the most physical tight ends I've seen in that time. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try to take no L's on. You know what I'm saying? When I got it, I'm gonna try to take no L's. I, <laughs> he's, he's gonna call meat hooks. That's he's, right. He's that's right. Jokes, man. That, that, yeah. hey, that, that was my calling card. You know what I'm saying? Now, of the guys that you said you blocked, um, who was probably the toughest uh, DN that you you ever had to block? Was it Reggie White, or was it one of the uh, other guys you mentioned? Man, uh, other guys, uh, uh, I mean, you know, Reggie just said himself, but he he was, you know, Reggie was telling of his career, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, Bruce Smith was still, he wasn't as big as I thought he was, but Bruce, Bruce was really, like, thin and fast. He had great hands. I mean, his his moves was just, I mean, it was just so, you know, so quick. I was like, wow. And, and you just had to try to catch up. And he was kind of on his, on his tail end, man, but... Uh, Man, the hardest guy to block at the time, I tell you who was hard, uh, uh, was uh, Trevor. I can't think of Trevor. Uh, he used to play for Denver. He was tough. He used to line up. Uh, guy, what's Trevor's uh, last day? Ended up going, I think, to Baltimore. And I'll tell you, there's another one, too, that used to play for the Cardinals. I can't, I can't think his name. He was a tough guy, too. I used to hate. He was more like a three technique. But he, they used to move him out there to me. I was like, ah, shoot, this, ah, man, this sucker's lined up. Oh, man. And I know, man, it was just okay. a headache. You just knew it was a headache every time you hit this joker. You know, because he wouldn't move. It was some, some guys, you just. <laughs> yeah, you just asked that joke, said, hey, man, could you just move a little bit, please? Just move. Just... <laughs> and I can't, I can't think of his name, man. Uh, it was uh, the defensive end, Eric something. Eric. With the Cardinals, that guy. Was it uh Trevor Price? Trevor Price, yeah, for Denver. Now Trevor was a he was okay. a bad dude, man. Okay. Yeah, Trevor was he was you know because he was another guy that was probably a three technique. They moved him out the defensive end. I'm like, man, you know you're a three technique. Go on back down there inside, <laughs> you know, you know. So it, it was it was him and the other guy Eric. I can't think of Eric's last name, man, from uh, the Cardinals. But that was some tough ones. Some tough ones, man. You mentioned Bruce Smith. He's from my area too. Oh, okay, okay, Bruce. Okay, yeah. Oh, he's a hokey. Yeah. So oh, Bruce, man, Bruce always had it about him, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, man, I had some good stories. I had some really good stories. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of the other guy that was opposite Kevin Green, uh, Greg Lloyd. You remember Greg Lloyd? Man, physical Yeah. yeah. He, you know, Greg Lowe was small too. He wasn't really that big. But I remember I'm lining up against him. Now, you know how you go through the cadence. Damn. Said, well, Greg Lowe was like an eighth degree black belt. And so you didn't quite, you know, when you hear these things and, you know, the scouting report, like, okay, yeah, eighth degree black belt. I know he's going to use some of this. So they go through the cadence. Damn. Said, and I hear Greg Lowe go, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, he didn't have me like, yeah, that oh. like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I leave. Like, what is he about to throw on me right now? 
And so yeah. it's just funny, man. I got man, I got several. I mean, twelve year career, man. I, I blocked some. some yeah, I've seen some some really good players, man, in my time. Some really good players, you know. <laughs> okay, do you have another question for JD? Uh, yeah, um, let's go back a little bit. We'll go back to the Super Bowl. All right. I know don't nobody really want to be in the Super Bowl again, but <laughs> just look, I'm asking. Right. So, what, what do you think was the problem as far as, as, far as us making the adjustments? It seemed like the first way we played, the way we played the first half, is the same idea with the way we played the second half. So, it seemed like we didn't make any adjustments. How do you feel about it? I tell you what, man. What I see, at least you know, during the game, was usually teams when they make an adjustment, if something they're not doing well, they switch it up with the other part of the game, right? So when when you're down, if you're a running team, you always go to the pass, right? You try to make an adjustments in the pass, and so it's 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 hard because if you're not really used to doing a particular thing. Like you know, throwing more, you know, uh, you know, mid passes or short passes. Then it's like it's hard to like, okay, well, we're gonna now we're gonna switch up the whole playbook for this, right? Because now you're thinking about, well, we got to get points, we got to get back in the game, so we can't we can't have we can't have a cop play against us, right? Because we still got to move the change. So I think one thing we didn't do because we didn't run the ball effectively well. It was tough to make an adjustment to actually run the ball second half, which is like, you know, they, they're actually playing back. I would have ran the ball. I would have tried it, you know. I mean, just see what they can do. At least run the football to make the defense honest. And I think what they, they started to do, and this is – I think this is when the team – and this is confident. I don't want to say arrogant, but confidence is, well, look, we, we, we've been able to do this all year, score on, on guys, right? Even in the second half, we've been able to come back against these guys. And so, man, to be honest, man, it, they already knew if we get them down, and I know defensive coordinators are just thinking, if we just keep these guys on a certain amount of points or yards the first half, second half, that now we got them. We can just play our game because we're not going to let nobody beat us deep. So that part of the game is out of it. But we're asking now to throw these short short passes to guys and then, you know, get a lot of yak, yak yards. Well, at that moment, man, you just try too hard, right? Man, all of a sudden you try to you try to do too much. Next thing you know, you fumble and everybody makes a mistake, and it's just a bad situation all around, man. So I, I think part of our, our confidence of thinking that we could score on anybody at any time uh, probably did us in. And we talked about the segment earlier about Patrick going back and, and making the team better by just doing some, you know, uh, off-season studying the film. This is part of it, and so. Sometimes you got to think, okay, well, if we don't, we don't, we got to make adjustments that's going to be able to work to our benefit, right? So we just don't have the deep pass. We got to have, you know, mid, you know, mid pass, mid range passes. You know, we got to be able to hit the sidelines even more. So that that's part of things you got to put into your arsenal. But I believe that's what it was, man. That, that second half adjustment, it's tough to do, man. You're already down, and then all of a sudden you just try too hard, and you start you start doing anything and everything to try to get back in the game. Yeah. So it works against you. So that was my assessment, man, because I, I seen it too, and it didn't look like no adjustment was being made. But I knew that, yeah, because sometimes what you do, man, if you open up your bag of trips early, you know, you start looking in that bag, you, 
it sucks up. You ain't got nothing in there. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah we, well, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. What about yeah. that? We, we did that already too. So I think that's part of it. You know, it's tough. You know, I, I, look, man, I, I had to say this, man. We had to give Tampa some some credit defensively. I agree. I agree. And, and I, I don't think there's enough of it because I was just saying what Tampa did for the like the past four weeks, what they were doing. I mean, they were just they was whooping people's tails. They weren't. And we do we keep forgetting on the teams that they actually beat and who they were beating going all the way to the Super Bowl. All of them on the ropes. Yes. Come on, man. Right. Right. So it, man, it was just a year, man. It just everything just didn't turn out the way that we wanted uh for us. And it, our worst was their best, and then that's how it's how it turned out. So yeah. But we, we we'll see them again next year. Kenny, hey man, really, we appreciate you coming on. We know you've been one of our day, like I said, you're one of our day one guys, and we really, really happy to have you, man. Cool. That was it. Was it's always awesome having. And I, I want to say this too. We've had we've had a, we've had a couple different guests come on. We've had a few come from Virginia. I I didn't I didn't know I didn't know he was from Virginia. Uh, I think uh, Mike we had on a couple episodes ago. He was from uh, Leesburg or the North Virginia area. It's it's actually kind of crazy. It's all by chance, too. I, I don't I don't know these guys. <laughs> it's, it's okay, well, that's good though. It's good, you know, getting around the country because that's why I wanted to. I know guys kind of reach out. So how did how did they? So how did they get in contact with you to get on the show? They commented on YouTube and they gave me their emails. Uh, I think, um, yeah, they, they gave me their emails and that that was that was it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, all they. Right. Uh, they were because I, I Kenny didn't have a, a Twitter, which is surprising. You know, if you're a chief fan, you gotta have it. You gotta have a Twitter these days, right? Uh, but he, he gave us uh, he gave us his Twitter, uh, he gave us his email, and that, that was it. The rest is history. Came on the show. All right, all right, cool, cool. We're good. All right, well that does it for us. We'll see you next week. We'll have Eric back. Uh, we can even ask him this question because I think he wore three in college, so we can we can ask him that question about the single digits if he's a fan of that or not. Um, but yeah, to all our followers, please you know look ahead. And actually, before we do go, I do want to say this: uh, one of our comments on YouTube is actually saying we want to do they want us to do draft analysis before we get into the draft. And one thing that I'm not going to give you homework here because I'm not your teacher, but homework for you, I would say going to next week is. Your top five tight ends in the draft coming up. Who are the guys that you that you like? And obviously, you know you are my one of my favorite players of all time. You are the best blocking tight end of all time. You, Brian Baldinger, everyone says it about you. So I do I do want to hear your analysis as far as who's the best all around guy. Everyone's obsessed with Kyle Pitts, and we're we're not going to get Kyle Pitts unless we trade up and get him. We're, that's not a need for us. As a number two tight end, I'm curious to see what kind of guys do you think that are in the draft that we could get second, third, fourth round that we could possibly get. Um, so your, 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 top, your top three to five tight ends, I was saying, because people are asking about it and you, you're the expert here. So Yeah, top five, I'll, I'll give it on, you know, tight ends. And now I'll have some, uh, you know, at least some input on, you know, maybe some guys that we should be going after in the draft. So uh, I know we got two picks in the fourth and the fifth round. And I, bet, I actually think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna win, you know, that that segment, that part of it. So, uh, guys, I think is just gonna come in and be able to at least uh, contribute, you know. So, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. For sure, yeah, and, and we'll we'll love to have the uh, the expert analysis next week from you. And you hear that, guys? Jason's gonna give us his uh, his tight end t- tight ends to look for in the draft outside of Kyle Pitts, obviously. Um, but yeah, so guys, uh, subscribe and follow us on. 
po- uh, Believe Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, YouTube as well. And if you have any concerns, if you want to tweet at us or DM us, and if you want to be our next guest on the show, please tweet at us at ConcernsChief on Twitter. Jason, I, I think we did pretty, no Eric, but I think we did a pretty good job. Do well, do well. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. So awesome, man. Do a good job, man, working with each other. It's good. Of course, yeah. man. Done, done and dash. Done and dash. D and D. Now we're done. Now we dash. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.